Okay, that's Spanky and Our Gang, a supernal, almost sublime hit from 1967. Or shall I say, not a hit, but it was on uh, an album of theirs that I treasure. Listen to it again. It's absolutely mesmerizing and touching song. Now, this is podcast number 331, entitled Robert Nathan, So There. And... um, It's interesting, the genesis of the cast, because I think you'll find it hopeful and helpful. I certainly have myself, quite seriously. I, um, I've, uh, it's so interesting when you get sick, because you're on all these medications. It's been, gosh, it feels like it's been almost six months now, since maybe more, since I've been on this massive daily, um, triumvirate of medications three times and now in fact two times per day and it never seems to go down and it was I was saying to the specialist uh, just last week you know um I get really I have no I'm not in pain at all I don't have any edema or any of the obvious symptoms but I'm really tired a lot of the time I'm really tired so he um suggested some changes in the medication which um Mary had also suggested, and uh, I undertook them, rather serious changes in dosage. (laughs) It's now been a full week, and I'm more tired than I was before. Isn't that funny how the world works? I mean, this is, I'm I'm actually tireder um, than I was, you know, a short time ago on a... um, on a different dosage. Uh, it's, in other words, you know, you sort of look at the thing and you sort of say, it's like all these people who jog or who walk with such panache and such incredible focus around the tracks. And they're sort of youngish, not all, but mostly. And and you know that it won't have any effect on their... Um, on their on their lifespan, because you know from following people you know and you love and you care for that uh, the biggest fitness fanatics die young. Um, I know someone very very well, as fit as anyone you could possibly imagine, in his late middle age, early old age, and he died very suddenly, um, and uh, without any reference to the ten trillion. Uh, hikes and wilderness walks and encampments that he had done over the years. So uh, let's just say that there's an irrational element to life that only really that which is eternal and uh, lasting and enduring, uh, particularly the presence of God and the love of God, can really in any way um, uh, resist or, or fight. But that can. Now, I want to talk about Robert Nathan. I'd like to say two things about Robert Nathan. He was a uh, an American novelist, mainly a, what's called, a, I guess, a fabulist. He wrote short fantasy novels, about 30 of them, several of which were made into movies, the most famous of which are The Bishop's Wife, and also, um, let me remember, um, Portrait of Jenny, Uh, but he was a major Hollywood figure for a period, and um, uh, contributed about 
40 of these short fantasy novels, really about men and women in sort of fantastic, even religious perspective. And uh, so the other day, I'm trying to find a book to read because I have these wonderful friends who are just reading all the time. They're little, they're my age, exactly. And they both, the married couple, they read passionately and with tremendous focus. Again, they both read a book a week and they're just totally lost in very substantial um, literature. And um, I found I can't do it anymore. A part of that is my exhaustion. My bandwidth is like one eighth of what it was. It's just a fact. And I, so if I just try to read Resurrection by Tolstoy or Dombey and Son, two novels which I think are of the absolute highest quality in the entire canon, if they're in that, um, I can't do it. I, I give up after two or three pages. There's just too much. There's too much depth, too much power, too much um, energy, uh, too much to remember. I can't do it. So I can't read any books uh, at any length. At this point, I'm hopeful that will change. You know, caresies. But nevertheless, so... Um, I'm trying to find a book. Mary's very good at having wonderful books to read, like Jonathan Francis' new book that David Zoll has reviewed so powerfully in Christianity Today of late. And um, I just can't do it. I can't face a, 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 a long narrative or a complex one. So I'm going through my library, and I come upon one of um, Robert Nathan's short novels. I think it's called uh, The Rancho of the Little Loves from 1956. And um, I found his autograph in it, which was unbelievable. But anyway, I'm looking. I've got a lot of Robert Nathan. I feel like I know Robert Nathan's work with quite a bit of love and dedication over recent years. And um, I find that I can read that book. I start reading it. It's kind of a fable about two angels who descend at Christmas time from heaven to kind of, uh, you might say, pay off a debt or to do some good in this world. To Actually, it's two saints, two saints from heaven, not angels, two saints who descend, given, you know, sort of a Frank Capra type situation where these two saints are given the chance to do some more good on this fallen world, and they um, find themselves in a Southwest American um, sort of a house of prostitution, and their job is to do some good to the residents, the clients, the all the different individuals it's outside of Las Vegas who um, who relate to this place who are both sad and hard and hard and sad and um, I could read it because he writes in short bits. His chapters are only about eight pages long, and they're usually subdivided into lengthy sort of three sections where there's a space. So I can read a section of three pages and stop. And then maybe two hours later, I can read the second section of that chapter and then stop because there's a convenient place. And the way he tells the story is very simple and very, it's sort of like a, a children's book, but for adults, uh, but a, a children's book in the way he writes. He writes very simply and excessively. He wrote many books, and you know The Bishop's Wife. It's a really powerful novel about the church at, at its both best and its sort of <coughs> kind of superficial worst. <coughs> and um, so I'm able to read it. That's the first thing I want to say about Robert Nathan. I'm able to read Robert Nathan. And that's when you get sick, if you do, and you will at some point, and you can't read in the hospital or outside the hospital, <coughs> read Rancho of the Little Loves, or uh, I can name 10. I'm looking at them. I've got 10 books. Now, the other thing I want to say about Robert Nathan at this point in my life, 
I'm, I, I've digested an awful lot of material, uh, uh, just a lots of material over the centuries of uh, one's 70-year-plus life. And um, I'm not about to give you all the chapters on the right names and the specific details and the dates and the scholarly apparatus related to Robert Nathan. I have it all here, but I'm really going to give you just a, what the Germans call a Zusammenfassung. I'm going to give you a very brief summary of Robert Nathan's uh, work and why it's important. And then I'm going to say something that's... Uh, that's um oh it's not controversial but it's important and uh needs to be said about Robert Nathan's Judaism in relationship to his Christianity because there's something very odd and unusual going on in Robert Nathan he's sort of an exception to the kind of hard edge of of uh this sort of secular american intellectual um plow of, uh, of, uh, of J J Jewish thought and literature, especially in the political and the social sphere. Robert Nathan is a kind of a very instructive case. But um, to put, make a long story short, he uh, was uh, not what we think. He didn't come from the ghetto. He grew up in a very, very wealthy home in New York City, sort of a Temple Emanuel kind of Fifth Avenue home, a very, very wealthy family. And he... Um, he went to Phillips Exeter Academy, where he was uh, had a very good exposure to basic Christianity and the chapel services at Phillips Exeter. <clears throat> I knew the chaplain there quite well I, before he died, um, and he did a good job. But he he was uh, he got a good version of Christianity, but he also got a, a liberal and and really. Pretty, pretty grave and high-minded um, uh, New York City, Upper East Side uh, Judaism. And uh, then he went to Harvard, where he was extremely successful in a number of, mainly in the Harvard Advocate, the literary magazine, <clears throat> and he didn't have a complex, and he proceeded to, he wrote a very short, odd little novel at the beginning, but then he, he sort of uh, took off with kind of slight fables that uh, had to do with issues, but with, with softly. So he wrote a, um, a book right in, when he wrote The Bishop's Wife about a kind of evangelical kind of Elmer Gantry heaven where all the people there are, are dead, uh, alive now in the kingdom of heaven, evangelicals, but it's a hard place and it's very abstracted and it's actually this fair amount of hypocrisy, especially psychosexually. He's not, uh, he's not Theodore Dreiser. He's not try or, or Sinclair Lewis. He's not trying to attack it, but he's, he's gently satirizing uh, a certain kind of evangelicalism, which was very strong in this country in the 1930s and earlier, sort of the Scopes trial, you know, that's William Jennings Bryan, as it was, although he was a great guy, but there it is. And, uh, and yet the, he finds out that the chap who goes there, who happens to be a professor, who is also a character played by Monty Woolley in The Bishop's Wife. The, the problem with the evangelical heaven is not so much the people's uh, kind of uh, compartmentalization, but they can't find Jesus. The professor is constantly, Where's, I want to talk to Jesus. I want to ask him some questions. And there's a young boy who's had a who's died, and he, he and the professor are become a duo in search of Jesus, and he's not there. And they ask to go back to the earth, to um, the world, in hopes perhaps of finding Jesus there. And it's not hard-edged, although it's a little bit 
serious, but it's very touching. And he wrote a number of other novels, Portrait of Jenny. He, he was married, I think, six times, uh, five, five times at least, that's for sure. <clears throat> Although very happily married to his last wife, who was Anna Lee, the actress from England who was in English horror movies, which I love, and then became uh, one of John Ford's favorite um, minor but accredited characters in his westerns, especially um, especially The Horse Soldiers and uh, Fort Apache, Anna Lee. And he was very happily married to her for a long time. And I have uh, his last volume of poetry, Robert Nathan's, which is autographed beautifully by Anna Lee, who then starred in General Hospital for like 15 years. And that's how she supported her husband. Um, the thing about... Um, Robert Nathan, read uh, his um, Portrait of Jenny and read The Bishop's Wife and read uh, a one called The Train in the Meadow, which is about heaven and purgatory. It's very profound. The Train in the Meadow is probably, in my opinion, religiously his most perceptive, what shall I say, most affecting book about uh, two different directions that two different individuals find as they're in a train in the meadow between heaven and this world. And it's very, very, very powerful and interesting book. He then, he wrote a series of poems in 1941 about Dunkirk. He wrote a famous poem at the time because he was very concerned about, uh, obviously, the rise of the Nazis and the, um, the Battle of Britain before we entered the war. And his poem, Dunkirk, became extremely well-known and much-loved, but in the book, the poetry book, which has Dunkirk in it and the other war poems he wrote, there's a poem about Jesus that is absolutely sensational, powerful poem about the world has lost Christ, has lost has lost the real Christ, and it's a wonderful poem. You'll find that I can't give you the name of it, but I, I've lived with that poem for years, and um, he then became famous through Hollywood primarily and through, uh, and he, he, he was actually asked to contribute an article for the Atlantic Monthly. I think it was the Atlantic Monthly, but it might have been the Saturday Review. They were doing a series just before our, uh, 1941 because they were most concerned about the uh, the persecution of Jews in Nazi Germany. And about 10 famous Jewish figures in this country were asked to write essays about their Judaism and how they understood their identity as Jews. And probably the most unusual one is Robert Nathan, because he writes saying, well, I'm not really Jewish, although I am. I'm ethnically completely Jewish on both sides without any, there's no, no infusion of, of Gentile blood into my line whatsoever. But I'm, I'm sort of more interested in, in Christian elements of universality and grace and, uh, and uh, the character of Jesus than I am in the nominal Judaism I grew up in. And he, but he says it in a way that's not rejecting. There's nothing reactive in it. He wasn't a reactive person. He liked women a lot, obviously, because he was married so often. But he, um, he, uh, uh, it's a powerful article. Look it up. Um, through the, I think it's through the, uh, I'll tell you the site another time. And then uh, he wrote a whole bunch of other books, the best being, as I said, The Train in the Meadow. And he wrote another book that became a huge success. I forget the name of it, but that's the third major Hollywood movie that he helmed conceptually. And um, and then he kept writing until the early 60s and then wrote some poetry. And he died actually in 1985 at a very advanced age, surrounded by the love of Anna Lee. The Lost Lenore, Annabelle Lee. Well, anyway, um, that's Robert Nathan, but you owe it to yourself, especially if you get sick or when you get sick later on, or if you've been sick recently, or if you've been, uh, your bandwidth is down and you're not able really to absorb all the things you'd like to absorb and that you have absorbed and all the media and all the, um, what is it, the, 
the um, six episodes in a row, you know, binge watching. You just can't do it when you're sick. Believe me, you would want to. You'll think you should. You, you're missing it like crazy. But when you're sick, your mind and body close in upon themselves for the purposes of survival and defense. <clears throat> and all you can do is what I did when I was really sick, which is 20 minute new 1985 Twilight Zone episodes, literally, or in the case of now, I can read Robert Nathan. Now, um, that's a second thing um, that I've tried to say to you in a kind of zusammenfassung. Uh, I've given you the results of all I know, but it's a, a very much a thumbnail sketch. Now, the last thing about him, and it's going to be short, is uh, his Judaism and Christianity is most interesting. I've always loved Rod Serling, especially because he was Jewish and grew up Jewish and grew up very definitely Jewish in uh, in uh, wasn't it Binghamton, New York, and um, he he never stopped being Jewish, although he didn't observe it. He went to a Unitarian church after he married his wife, who was from a liberal Protestant background. But he um, he uh, in the Twilight Zone, if you watch the original Serling episodes, there are at least four that reference Jesus. I think there are four. Now there there may be there are four that are definitely Christian in tone. Three that specifically reference Jesus Christ, and he wrote them. And uh, he obviously, uh, from his uh, ep- these episodes, uh, I can give you the list another time. There are three of them plus one equals four. Um, he had great. Um, attraction and identification with the sacrificial character of Jesus's love, the love of Jesus on the cross. He, he identified with that clearly, even though he was a World War II hero, a parachutist, and uh, um, Jewish in every single sense. And he has, he wrote a very, very um, powerful television play called In the Presence of Mine Enemies that you have to watch at the Paley Center in New York. He's totally unavailable. And that's a two-hour made-for-television play, which was Robert uh, Redford's very first ever appearance on American television. And um, that is also highly assimilationist. And then he wrote an episode for Night Gallery entitled The Messiah on Mott Street, uh, in which Edward G. Robinson plays a very uh, obviously aged rabbinical Jew who couldn't be less Christian in his self-understanding, who is kind of visited at Christmas by a kind of angel who happens to be an African-American postman who is very definitely a Christian, and yet the son or grandson of Edward G. Robinson has to navigate between the Christianity on one side of uh, of one social worker and um, the social worker the the postman and the definite Judaism of uh, of uh, of an attorney, of a doctor, of a physician, and um, uh, Edward G. Robinson's self understanding itself, and it's extremely powerful, and it ultimately is an absolutely assimilated sense that Christianity, or shall I say, Christmas, is a holiday that uh, Jews and Christians can celebrate without giving way an iota of their own individual religious identity. Now, you may say, how is that possible? See it. Uh, It's a little bit not beautifully filmed, but it's totally Serling, the Messiah of Mott Street. So that's what I wanted to say. I was struck um, when I got sick again recently with this mixed message of the medication that I wanted to read Robert Nathan. I've given you a kind of summary that's not scholarly, but I I believe it's accurate as far as I know, and I've been steeped in his work for a long time. Hope that can be said, but you all have to judge or somebody else can judge. And then um, I wanted to talk for a minute about assimilation of Christianity and uh, um, 
of uh, Christianity and uh, Judaism. And that's really what I wanted to communicate in this kind of latter day of illness. But it's also my second podcast of 2022. And I look forward to many, many returns. Love you. Cheese.